please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll be looking this morning at the very beginning of the last chapter of this book, chapter 13. We are just about at the conclusion of our journey through 2 Corinthians. This morning, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4, and then next week we'll study verses 5 through 13, and then finally the week after that, that last final verse, verse 14 of chapter 13. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 2 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 1. This is the third time that I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. O Lord, our God. Lord, we ask this morning that you would bless us as we study your word. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds that we would learn your will that is contained in this, your word. That we would look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see his glory and the majesty of all that he has done. And most of all, Lord, that we would continue to be changed by your grace and your power. That we would become more and more like our Savior. This we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen. We are living in difficult times. Times that we find ourselves unable to affect the change that we desire. But this is not something that is new for Christians. Christians throughout the centuries have experienced difficult times, challenging circumstances. It's more regular for the Christian life than irregular. And so we might ask ourselves, why does God allow his people to suffer weakness? Why does God not give us the power we need to conquer all of our enemies and trying circumstances? What is he trying to do here? This morning, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into this. What God is doing in our lives, what he did in the lives of the Corinthians, and most importantly, what he did in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ the model for our life. And so this morning, I'd like us 
to take up two headings from our text. First, Paul shows us that Jesus models the way. Jesus models the way that we are to live. Jesus himself took on weakness, and yet he lived by the power of God. And then the second thing that Paul will show us is that we follow Jesus. Just as Jesus was weak, and just as Jesus lived by the power of God, so we too are weak, and we are called to live by the power of God. We are called to follow our Savior, to imitate Him, to become more like Him, because that is the goal of our Savior. Jesus models our way, and we follow Jesus. Let's begin then by seeing how Jesus models the way for us. And we begin by seeing that Jesus took on weakness. Paul talks about the weakness of Christ, specifically in verse 4. He says, for he was crucified in weakness. But there is more to Jesus' weakness than the cross, although we'll look at that in just a moment. Jesus' weakness actually began with his incarnation. Now, often, I believe we lose the wonder of what it means that Jesus became man, that he took on flesh, that he was born of a virgin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are constantly calling upon God to come down and to make things right. We ask, God, if you would only come down and fix all of this pain in the world, there's pain all around us. If only God would come and do away with disease and death. But what we forget is that God did come down. That he did become man. That he has come to renew the world and redeem his people. The eternal word of God became flesh. Can you imagine that? The infinite is confounded by the finite. And more than that, he voluntarily submitted himself to the law of God. The lawmaker became the law keeper. He humbled himself, born of a virgin, living not in splendor that he was due, but rather instead humbling himself before others. As one commentator puts it, he who wore the sovereign's robe put on the carpenter's apron. Can you imagine what Jesus has done? But his birth was not an end in itself, no. There are many benefits to the incarnation. Just for instance, we can talk about how the incarnation reveals God to us. We can know who God is because we can see God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I not been with you? Don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? That's a benefit of the incarnation. But the fundamental purpose of Jesus' birth was his death. God took on flesh so that he might die, so that he might atone for sins. Unless he became man, he could not atone for our sins. And God knew that we cannot save ourselves. 
And so as a result, he took on human nature so that he could save us. The only way of salvation was through weakness. Christ took on flesh because he had to die. The message of the gospel is not that we serve a weak God, but that God became weak so that he might save us. And so Paul uses this unique phrase in verse 4 to describe the weakness of our Savior. He says, for he was crucified in weakness. And this is the only place in all of the Bible that this phrase occurs. It's unique. It highlights the sufferings that Jesus experienced. And it reminds us that his death was completely voluntary. No one compelled Jesus to become man. No one compelled him to die upon the cross. He took it upon himself for his people. And this suffering shows Jesus' weakness. First, there was a great deal of physical pain that our Savior experienced. He was whipped and beaten, struck with both the lash and the fist. His flesh was torn open. He bled. He was mocked, disgraced. They struck him and said to him, Now prophesy, who hit you? They abused him. And this is something that our Lord knew had to happen. It was prophesied back in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50, the prophet writes, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Think about the physical pain that Jesus went through. The abuse, the mockery. The nails that were driven through his flesh to secure his arms and his legs upon the cross. And there was no dulling of pain at all. One of the things that I am very grateful for in God's common grace in our day and age are various medicines, prescriptions, and drugs that will take away pain. Now, could you imagine if you needed to have surgery today, if the doctor came up to you with a, a bit of wood and a little glass of whiskey and poured it down your throat and stuck the wood in your mouth and said, bite down hard because this is really going to hurt. I'm so glad we don't live in that time. I much prefer the doctor coming to me and say, you're going to go off to la-la land. I'm going to give you this medication. And when you wake up, I'll be all done. And you won't feel a thing the entire time. But our Lord Jesus Christ felt everything that was done to him. He even refused the analgesic of his day. You may recall that a soldier came to him with wine mixed with myrrh and wanted him to drink it so that he would begin to dull his senses. But our Lord Jesus Christ would have none of it because he knew that he had to experience this pain to the full. He knew that his atoning work required him to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very dregs. But the pain was not all that Jesus experienced. He also experienced the loneliness of being abandoned. His disciples made bold claims that they would die with him. 
And we recall Peter being at the forefront of this as he often was. He told Jesus, never fear, Lord. I am ready to go to jail and to die with you. And of course, Jesus told him, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. But I think sometimes we forget that the Gospels tell us that not only Peter said that, but all of the disciples said that. We will die with you, Lord. We'll never leave you, Lord. And yet the reality is they all ran away. None of them were willing to stand with Jesus at his trials. We may think little of Peter because he stood a ways off warming himself as Jesus was on trial. But the other disciples were nowhere to be found, not even within earshot. Even the presence of John at the cross would have been painful for our Lord, knowing that he could do nothing to help his Lord. Have you ever felt abandoned or lonely? The worst part about that is knowing that there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make people come around you. You're lonely because you're weak. They've abandoned you. They're gone. But that was nothing compared to this. Jesus experienced not only abandonment by his disciples, but he experienced separation from the Father. Now, it's not just that Jesus felt abandoned by the Father. I think at all times we experience that. In the dark nights of our life, we experience the thought that God has abandoned us, left us, that we're on our own to work this out. We all have those experiences. The psalmist gives word to that. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. But this for Jesus was not just a sense of being abandoned, of being left, forsaken. It was reality. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin for us. And God, who cannot look upon sin, who is too holy to look upon sin, turned away from Jesus, the sin bearer. Think about that. Their eternal fellowship was broken. Now, that should make us be very sober about our sin. Our sin caused the eternal fellowship between the members of the Godhead to be broken. From all eternity, the Father and the Son enjoyed love and fellowship, encouragement and support. And because of sin, that was broken on the cross. There was never a time when Jesus was so weak as that. He had always had the Father to encourage him and support him. We think about the accounts throughout the Gospels of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. But at the cross, Jesus entered completely unknown territory. He was separated from the Father. And then... There is death itself. 
Jesus, the Lord of life, felt his life slipping away. And this was not a quick and merciful stroke. It was slow, with the burden of the world all upon him. We can feel weak when we have our own burden to carry. We are embarrassed by our own guilt and shame. We know that we are not innocent. But Jesus carried the burden of all. What weakness Jesus experienced. And all for you. Jesus is willing to be your Savior. He was willing to become weak for your sake. Will you have him? Will you go to him now? Will you trust him as your Savior? But Jesus' weakness and death was not the end. Praise be to God that verse 4 does not stop midway. Paul goes on to say that Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. There is that great Bible word, but. If you are the sort of person that marks up your Bible or writes in your Bible, you should circle the but in this sentence. Because it reminds us that our experience, our hope, our lives are not dependent upon ourselves and weakness, but upon the power of God. God makes all the difference. He gives us this gospel, but. We are conditioned to look to death as the end of all things. I fear that is why 2020 has gripped so many Americans in fear. Because for so many, there is nothing beyond death. Death is the end. And so it must be avoided at all costs. Because there's nothing left. There's nothing that remains. But the scriptures teach us otherwise. That death is not the end. This is why when someone we know in the Lord dies, we can say, I'm sad. I grieve for the loved ones. But I actually rejoice for them. Have you thought about that? That the way we talk about death is the most joyful person involved with the death is the dead person. But it's true. Because they are ushered into the presence of the Lord. They are where we want to be. They have left behind sin and sorrow and shame. And they are brought to the Lord. Against all that we would expect... Paul tells us that Jesus lives. He was crucified in weakness. But he lives by the power of God. And notice the tense of the verb here. He lives present tense now. He was crucified, but now he lives. We might even translate it, he lives again. How can this be? It can only be by the power of God. This is a word that we have seen before. In chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord tells Paul that his power is made perfect in weakness. Paul learned his lesson. He saw it in the Lord Jesus Christ. That in the weakness of Jesus, God made his power manifest. In verse 12 of chapter 12, 
we hear about the mighty works of God that he is doing. And this word mighty is the same word as the word for power. Beloved, you should never, ever doubt the power of God. God always comes through. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the story of Abraham and Isaac as interpreted in the book of Hebrews. You may remember that Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain because God had told him to sacrifice his son. And there was a conundrum here because previously God had said to Abraham that all of the promises that he had would be fulfilled through Abraham's seed, through Isaac. And the only conclusion that Abraham could draw is that if God had to break the power of death to keep his promise, he would. And Abraham was right. Not in the instance about Isaac, because Abraham received Isaac back as in a figure. He was never sacrificed. But it is exactly what the Lord accomplished through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the death of Christ, he brought about the fulfillment of his promise. And Jesus lives by the power of God. That's what God has done. He has conquered death itself. He has undone death. So that we no longer need to fear it as followers of Jesus. Jesus' obedience to his death conquered weakness. It shows us that the grave is not the end. And the power of God is so evident that Jesus is now seen to be the ultimate reality. He has a name that is above every other name. He is the hope for his people. Death cannot hold him. He has conquered death and sin. And that's because Jesus has dealt with the guilt of sin. The answer to the weakness that Jesus experienced with the burden of sin is found here. Jesus took the guilt of sin upon himself and he answered it once and for all for everyone. His power is greater than sin and death. And that power is more than a wiping away of guilt and shame. That is important, crucial, but there's even more. Jesus gives new life. He transforms his people. He gives them graces and gifts. He transforms those who believe in him to be renewed. Think about Peter, the coward, who becomes the bold preacher on Pentecost. Think about Paul, the murderer, who becomes the missionary. Look throughout history at all of the examples of people who are transformed by the power of God. John Newton, the slave captain, becomes the hymn writer and the pastor. Communist dictators and terrorists become followers of Jesus. Those who serve false gods follow the Lord Jesus Christ and help others. They are transformed by the power of God because of what Jesus has done. The Corinthians would have known this. They had been weak. They were sinners, idolaters, immoral, 
greedy. But Paul wrote to them, such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. They had been changed by Jesus. That is what Jesus can do for you. If you believe in him, he can transform you by the power of God. That is our second heading. That we are to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, we serve him in weakness. We are weak as he was weak. Jesus is our model because he took on weakness and he lives now by God's power. And as we follow Jesus, we walk the same path. Our lives are lives of weakness and suffering, but that is not ultimate. It's what Paul writes in the second part of verse 4. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul is an example to us of this. He testifies to this truth that he was weak. He faced pain and suffering, not in exactly the same manner as our Lord did. But he tells us in this letter that he's beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked. He was hungry, sleepless. He suffered all sorts of pain and deprivation. He recounted that for us in chapter 11. Paul's life was not a life of ease and comfort. We might have expected it to be one. After all, he was a mighty servant of God. God was using him to build his church. If anyone should have been protected from being weak, it would have been Paul. And yet Paul is an example to us of one who lived in great weakness. This is one of our great challenges, I think. We have come to expect that Jesus will give us the desires of our hearts when we come to him. Oftentimes, I think we even falsely put that into our evangelism. Do you want to have better family life? Come to Jesus. Do you want to be wiser with money and have more uh, things? Come to Jesus. Do you want to be more respected by others? Come to Jesus. And we act as if Jesus is to make us strong rather than holy. Jesus does not promise you perfect children. Or a great job. Or financial security or good relationships or friends. He only promises you himself. Because that is what we truly need. Now you may say, I can deal with pain and suffering, Pastor. I can live going without. But I should not have to expect sorrow and mental anguish in this life. I shouldn't have to put up with this. But that's exactly what Paul tells us he experienced. It was part of being weak in him. Paul tells us that he was daily pressed down by his concern for the churches. Paul tells us that he was afraid. That he even despaired of life. Being weak in Christ means more than pain and poverty. It also affects us mentally. 
And then there are the things that we cannot do in our own strength. There are tasks beyond our strength. God asks us to labor in a field that we cannot conquer on our own. Do you ever get discouraged thinking about how many people in the world need the gospel? I don't know how many billions of people there are in the world now, but there are billions. And even in the span of time that we have been here together, there are many, many more who have been born, and they all need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that can seem like an overwhelming task, can't it? It's almost as if there's nothing really that we can do at all we shouldn't bother, because we can't really affect the kind of change that we desire. This task is beyond us. And that's true. Paul was no Superman. I know sometimes when we read the Bible, we think people in the Bible are completely different than us. That they have an entirely different frame of mind, an entirely different way of living, just because they're in the Bible, they're somehow more perfect than we are. But that's not true of Paul. He wasn't able to subdue the nations on his own. Rome didn't become a Christian republic because of his ministry. Even his opponents didn't run from him. In fact, they attacked him. They belittled him. That's what this whole letter is about. A weakness is found in those who follow Christ. There is no avoiding it because we follow Jesus. The servant cannot be greater than the master. Why does the Lord do this? Wouldn't it be much easier if he simply empowered us to do the task? If he gave us the power to succeed at every level, to dispel all of the difficult circumstances that are around us, wouldn't that make life so much easier? Well, again, we must remember that God uses our service, but that is not primarily what he wants. What he wants is us. He wants us to depend on him. And so the entirety of the Christian life is one of being detached from pride and self-dependence. We are to rest not on ourselves, but to rest on Christ. When we most feel our weakness, that's when we turn to Christ for strength and are strong. Let me ask you this. When are you most likely to pray? If you're anything like me, you are most likely to pray when you realize there's nothing you can do. It's completely beyond you. God has given you a situation or a circumstance that not only can you not fix, you know you can't fix it. And the only place to go is to the Lord. That's a snapshot of the Christian life. We will not rest on Christ until we stop leaning on ourselves. And so much of our lives is God teaching us this most important lesson. Paul knew this. 
He was in the middle of a very difficult situation. He was being attacked by his opponents. He had discipline problems in the church at Corinth. He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to bring charges and find evidence from witnesses. He knew he had discipline problems in the church. He knew he was insufficient to solve these problems. That's why he says in verse 4, But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Paul didn't have a great 12-step program. He didn't have the latest bestseller. He had the power of God and the knowledge of his own weakness. Paul rested on Christ, and he knew that was enough. We need to know the power of God, not just intellectually, but experientially. We need to know that we are weak, but he is strong. That we don't know, but he knows all things. That we struggle with sin, but he has conquered it. The same power of God that raised Jesus from the grave is available to you right now. It's the exact same phrase that Paul uses in both of these sentences. The power of God raised Christ from the dead. And it is at work in you, beloved, right now. Does life seem like it's too much for you right now? Do you wonder how you'll get through it? You need to trust the Lord and His strength. You can't do it on your own. You aren't meant to. The Lord wants you to look to Him, to lean on Him. God's mission is to build the church. He knows His mission. He has told it to us, and it is not an easy mission. Paul experienced that. It involves bringing the gospel, which is foolishness to others, to people who are lost in darkness. It's telling others that to save their life, they must lose it. To have hope, they must abandon their own works and depend on Jesus. There are attacks that come from outside the church. Persecution, hate. But what's even worse, there are attacks from inside the church. Division, sin, wickedness. If we look at this, it can seem impossible. I know many of you feel that way now. You see our culture moving more and more away from God. You see sin praised in public. You see, God's word mocked. You yourself may have been attacked simply for being faithful to God's word. But what we need to know is that God is in control. He is able. He is not surprised by any of this. His mission will succeed. No one can stop him. In conclusion, the Lord has wisdom and purpose in allowing his people to be weak. He does not need our strength. More importantly, we do not need our strength. What we need is Jesus. And so the Lord points us to Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the model for the way of life. 
experiencing weakness to live by God's power. Jesus was crucified in weakness. But he lives by the power of God. You also are weak in Christ, but you live with him by the power of God. May God give us the grace we need to flee our own power and to rest in the power of Christ. Let's pray.